Hello, everyone, and welcome to Rise for Racial Justice, the podcast. I'm Bernetta Parson, and on this show, we bring you the finest thought leaders in the anti-racist and education realms with the goal of sharing resources for liberation, transformation, consciousness raising, and anti-racist action. Our guest today is Dr. Gail Upchurch. Gail is a writer of young adult and adult fiction. She is a 2021 Tin House Young Adult Scholar, a 2021 Community of Writers Scholar, a finalist for the 2021 Crystal Wilkinson Creative Writing Prize and winner of the 2021 Tupelo Quarterly Prose Open Prize for a short story called America the Beautiful. She holds a PhD in creative writing from Binghamton University, an MFA in creative writing from Chicago State University, and a BA in English from Howard University. She teaches American literature, creative writing, and composition at Prince George's Community College. Welcome, Gail. Very happy to have you here. Thank you. Thank you so much, Bernetta. It's an honor to be here. Uh, wonderful. Okay, so we're going to discuss your experiences in young adult literature, but I wanted to start with our first meeting. So I know you as a faculty member in the Exploring Transfer Program, and you were partnered with Colette Can, who is a co-founder of Rise for Racial Justice. Um, you were teaching a course together called Writing, that is W-R-I-T-I-N-G, Writing Race in the U.S. What did you learn from that course? What was your experience like? Well, let me tell you something. Um, Colette is a master pedagogue. And so I had never approached teaching in quite uh, that way before. It was dynamic. It was, in, it was just enriched. It was, it was fantastic. And I have to tell you that I've been a better teacher every semester since working with Colette. And we did that for two summers. So I think the first summer that we met, it was 2015, you and I, I mean, and then uh, we did it again, 2016, because we had had so much fun. And I jumped at the opportunity because I was like, whoa, if I can get, you know, this kind of passion from students again, I would love to do it again. So it was wonderful. That's just part of it. The other part was more substantive. I mean, just in terms of content, I was coming with a literature background. I mean, obviously I have a creative writing background, but also a lit background. And Colette was coming, of course, from the education department. And she brought all of this training about critical race theory that I just hadn't had. And it was amazing. And it gave me a new way to think about African-American lit ways that I hadn't thought of before. What I remember most is that the students coming away loving that class that, that you and Colette did. Um, That's right. So they had a great experience as well. And, and just uh, so the audience knows, we're talking about community college students. That's right. That's right. Yes. It was amazing. Yeah, I, I found that when I tried to have like a, a race theme for my freshman composition class, when I went back to my home campus, you know, students, many students didn't, they weren't welcoming of that, of that course theme. Mm -hmm. But I think that the feedback that I got at the end of the semester, similar to ET was, this was one of the best classes I've ever taken. Right. Because for the first time, I feel like I'm writing compositions about something that matters. 
it just felt like something real. And I was really happy to be able to give it to him. And I, I tell you, it was my experiences at, um, with ET and with Colette that gave me, I think the confidence as a professor to say, yeah, I could totally do this. And I think mm. they totally need it. And I think that, you know, more classes should be centered around just these ideas of how we can talk across difference and all these sorts of things. So, all right. So now we can get back into the young adult. <laughs> okay. All right. Very cool. Yeah, if I do remember correctly, you, you started talking about this novel that you wanted to write during that experience. It's very right? true. It's very true. Yeah. The, the, the nexus of this project is something that I thought of that summer, actually. My father had died nine days before I started teaching in the ET program. So it was not unexpected, um, but it was devastating nonetheless. And I remember teaching ET, which was a wonderful distraction, actually. I was able to sort of like pour myself into this academic work and, and be with these wonderful students. And um, after ET, the grief was, was there, right? It was there in a more palpable way, probably, because I had then the time to sit with it and to have to deal with it. That my father, who had had my entire life, was gone. And in fact, the death of my father was harder. I, five years before, I had lost my mother. And that was obviously soul-crushing and very difficult. But, you know, I had a parent. And then when my father dies, then it's just losing one and both at the same time. So I was just, just floored, just leveled um, with, with this emotional weight, this grief, this, this sadness that I just couldn't escape. And I had three small children. So there wasn't a real escape. I had to still cook dinner. I had to still make the macaroni and cheese. I still had to do the grocery shopping and I still was expected to go to work and I was still expected to keep relationships afloat and all these sorts of things. So what do I do? I jump into books. This is, this is my training. This is my love. It's one of my passions. So I just jumped right into reading novels, but not any novels young adult novels because I needed something that was as far away from the sadness that I was feeling as you know someone who was raising young children and also losing parents it's just a hard kind of squeeze to be in so I just wanted to read about some teenagers experiences you know friendships relationships I learned a lot about young adult literature one, that I absolutely loved it. And even though I wasn't the target demographic, I remember going to the library, taking out a Judy Bloom book, right? And thinking, I'm gonna need a book cover, right? It's gonna be very strange for me to walk out of here, you know, reading the book forever and not get strange looks. But I read it nonetheless. I mean, they were just beautiful. It was just a beautiful escape. I could be for a second, like 16 years old again, 17 years old. When, and if I think about that, if I had that soul traveling moment, you know, the death of parents could not have been further away from my mind. And I loved occupying that space. And I was like, yes, I want to just like be here. So I ended up just like, I was just voracious, right? So between let's say September and the end of the year, maybe I read about 30, right? Because the other thing is YA novels, they're so accessible at the level of language for obvious reasons, right? Because they're trying to gear 
the subject matter and um, the stories to a younger audience. So I could read like one in a night and it was just so great. So I did that for months and months. And to the extent that by the end of that year, which is 2015, by the end of that year, I said, I know what I have to do. I think I'm gonna have to write my own YA book. I was so compelled. One, because the stories were just a delight. And I said, I can do this. And two, because I was finding there was a dearth of stories about African-American um, teenagers. Stories that I would have wanted to have read when I was a teenager myself. Stories that I wanted to read as an adult. I'm like, where, where are the black kids? And I think about Toni Morrison, and I'm, I'm gonna see if I can remember the quote, but it's something like, if there's a book that you wanna read and it doesn't exist, right, you have to write it. And it was just a wonderful challenge for me. And that launched what is now, you know, this, the, an emerging career in YA Lit, and I'm very excited. I think I asked you this before, you know, who's, who's our Judy Bloom? Right, um, right. Because that's someone I also read when I grew up. What do you think? Yeah, it's interesting. I don't, similarly, I don't know if there's a Black Beverly Cleary, right? That's another author mm. who I just, I adored when I was little. And the Ramona Quimby series was just my favorite set of books. And so I don't know. I don't know. But I tell you what, I've read some really wonderful YA fiction by Black writers. And one writer that's coming to my mind immediately is Renee Watson, who's been so generous with her time. I met her at Highlights a few years ago and we've kept in touch every now and again. I'll just like send her an email about uh, what's going on with me. I found an agent, you know, and she kind of celebrates those things with me. And she's, and it's just so generous because she's so large, right? In the, in the field of, of YA Lit. So I just really appreciate her. She's a fantastic writer. And one of the things that she has said is that Similarly, when she read Beverly Cleary growing up and she read the Ramona books, like we all did, right? Uh, that Ramona lived in a Portland, Oregon, and that's where she grew up. But where Ramona grew up could not have been more different than the, the neighborhood and the block that she lived. And so I think there was a way that she kind of got into this and in certain stories, uh, one in particular, Piecing Me Together, which is set in Portland, Oregon, she kind of, you know, adds another kind of voice to the story. Like, yeah, Ramona has her place and Beverly Cleary obviously has her place. But for Renee Watson, she says, and there has to be the story about this Black girl who also lives in Portland, Oregon. It just was a really wonderful book that talks about really big issues, race, body image, class, and the intersections of gender and race and all of that in ways is so accessible and, and just so lovely and, and just wonderfully rendered. So I think about her, I'm like, is she the new Beverly Cleary? I don't know. I don't know if she would describe herself that way, but I know <laughs> that when she talks about piecing me together, she definitely thought about Ramona Quimby in Portland, Oregon. And I think this is what black writers can offer to the field of of YA Lit. Tell us a little bit about your story. I know that you you have done some revision. Yeah, right? yeah. What is your story about? You know, sometimes I get this question and I'm like, oh no, can I do it in a sentence? I likely cannot. <laughs> I likely cannot. 
Um, but if I were to really say something that was very short, I would say this is a book of lost and found. So my main character, he's a boy. He's 17 years old and his mother dies of cancer. And before she dies, she makes this arrangement with her uh, former partner and uh, the main character's father. They make this arrangement without consulting the main character and she ships him off to Chicago. And he has to live out his senior year on the South side of Chicago, which could not be more different from Poughkeepsie where he lived with his mother for, for many, many years. So that starts the story and it asks a lot of questions. One, you know, for the main character, how is he gonna make this new life without his mother, which, who was really the only family uh, he ever had? And then how is he gonna forge a new path with a father he's never really known? And I think that throughout the novel, what I'm trying to talk about is uh, the coming together of, of an unlikely family. Uh, mm -hmm. His father is willing to take him, but at the same time, he's not well equipped to be a father of a 17-year-old boy. So it's, it's about the main character growing. It's about the main character being open to this other kind of lived experience, both because of the landscape and the difference in the landscape. It's more urban. And so he's meeting different kinds of characters in his life. His father is, is a bit of a character. Uh, he finds out he has an aunt he never knew and she's quite a character. And <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he loses his mother, but in the end of this novel, um, he finds his father. So it's a book of lost and found. So we'll see. Yeah, that's beautiful. I can't wait till it comes out. Yeah, I, I'm excited about it. I'm excited about it. Um, and I, I wanted to touch on, I know we talked a little bit about issue books, right? Um, books that deal with probably the, the, the hard parts about being Black. Sure. And I wanted to talk about that in contrast to your book. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I tell you what, when I was acquiring my agent, one of the things that she said made my novel attractive was that it wasn't a quote unquote issue book. Mm -hmm. that those books have their place. I mean, again, those are really important books. So, you know, Angie Thomas's The Hate You Give is an extremely important book. And it, it's, it's, it's a great book. And I've read that book. And yet there should be nothing wrong with telling a, a story about a regular old family trying to mm -hmm. piece it together. Because the African-American experience is in a monolith. We know that we do know that there are the, way, the ways that we move through society might be circumscribed by these larger issues, right? I think that we were all moved, for example, by the beating and, and death of George Floyd and these sorts of things. And yet for a teenager, there's that anger and also just the angst of that first kiss. And I think that Black teenagers should be afforded the same range of joy, the same range of happiness and angst and trepidation as, as, any, as any character, right? Those themes are, are universal. And I'm, so I'm hoping that with that, you know, we can see another kind of Black story. I think there's enough space for all the stories. I, I love that. 
Thank you. Yeah, it's kind of like it's it's a it's it's almost like a luxury, right, to show that kind of story. I mean, for publishing houses, I can imagine. I mean, and it is a business. If we were to just just be real about it, so the book business is in fact a business. And so while I'm writing and I'm thinking about language and I'm thinking about you know what would be the best and most appropriate metaphor for this moment and this scene, you know. Uh, publishing houses are trying to sell books and so they're thinking about marketability and I and I know that they're thinking about whether or not that kind of run-of-the-mill quotidian experience if that's going to have a far enough reach right is this going to 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 turn a profit is this going to earn out that sort of thing which is a real consideration uh I would just you know it's just you know I don't know it's just yeah. sort of, uh, what are the words I'm looking for? I, I, disappointment isn't quite it because I'm a realist. I understand these things, but I would hate for those considerations to sort of supersede what could be this, this, other, this other kind of narrative about just the humanness of black children, of black boys and girls and black teenagers. Yeah, okay, that, yeah, I, I, I agree. All right, so we will take a little break here uh, and come back with more from Dr. Gail Upchurch. If you are interested in learning more about racial literacy, please check out the Rise for Racial Justice website at riseforracialjustice.org and see what courses and resources are available online or by subscription. Rise for Racial Justice is committed to supporting and empowering young people, families, and schools to rise for racial justice. If you like what you're hearing, and we hope you do, please subscribe, rate, review, and share. We are back with Dr. Gail Upchurch. Gail writes young adult or YA fiction as well as adult fiction. Her work can be found in publications like the Missouri Review, Obsidian Literature and Arts in the African Diaspora, and in the Tupelo Quarterly, where she is the 2021 winner of the Prose Open Prize. I want to talk a little bit about your story um, that won that prize called America the Beautiful. Tell me, what were you thinking with that story? It actually starts out as a YA story and then goes into adult, <laughs> into adult fiction. But I think it's really interesting. And I wanted the audience to hear about that. Sure. So, yeah, this is a story that I had been working on since I was in graduate school. I took a trip with my, with my partner to Ghana. This is shortly after we were married and we kind of took our honeymoon money. We stayed there for a month and it was just one of the most edifying experiences I had ever had. And I remember coming back from that trip, just writing, just writing, writing, writing. At first I thought it was gonna be a travel log, but in fact, I don't really do that. I don't write that type of thing. I write fiction and so, I had to sort of chuck that because it was just sounding um, too much like not my voice. So I decided to write some stories and I wrote a few stories and none of them really worked. And this story has taken, you know, this is probably the eighth to 10th iteration of it. 
but I think I got it to a place where I could hear the main character's voice and the main character's name is Ama. And she is a young girl who's at a university. She's studying literature as uh, she's a Shakespeare scholar and she's just dreams of America. She doesn't have any real plans until she meets a professor who's got a Fulbright fellowship and he's uh, a white professor and she can just, she, she knows that he's American and she doesn't know if the opportunity will present itself, but it does. And they start up this, this love affair, which is at once uh, scary uh, for Ama. It's illicit in a way because of the professor student boundaries that they've breached. But she takes this chance because she says, this is my way to America. And what she finds is that all she thought about America it couldn't, one, she didn't know enough about America and two, it couldn't prepare her for the kind of isolation and loneliness that she feels as an immigrant, right? That this, this American dream, this America is not beautiful at all, not for her, maybe for some. But I wanted to write a story about Ghana because I wanted to in some way enshrine my time there what the what the land felt like and looked like and it was a, a dangerous sort of endeavor because I'm writing about a woman who is Ghanaian and I'm not so mm -hmm. there are some moments where I would say I don't know it took me so long to try to get the voice I'm like I don't know if this is my story to tell and to be honest I still am not sure but I am a woman and so I tapped into those kind of feelings. So again, just thinking about the, the universality of, of those feelings. I was really moved that the judge, you know, I, I think it's always amazing that anyone would stop and read my story. So thank you, Brunetta, for, <laughs> for reading my story. It's always like a miracle, I feel like, that anyone would ever stop and read anything that I write. But and here I am, I'm an African-American woman. I'm, I'm not you know, Ghanaian, just, I just was honored that the, the judge of this contest thought enough of my story and it was really wonderful. So it was a gift. I think what I really liked about it was it was a story of a different kind of passage. It's not the middle passage and it's right. this young girl cause she's 17 when the story starts. So she's young and naive when she makes this trip to a place where she doesn't have anybody. And what is that like? She thinks that she's in love or maybe she convinces herself that she's in love. <laughs> yeah, I think it's more that, yeah. Because she thinks that this is where she wants to, to be unlike her ancestors who didn't have that option, right? They, they were just taken, but she finds it like they did, you know, a very hard place without the familiar to hold on to. So I thought it was really beautiful and I would encourage people to, to read that, <laughs> that Thank story. You. Thank you, Bernetta. Um, you're welcome. So I wanted you to talk about what it's like for Black authors in the YA world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like you talked a little bit about publishing being in a business and mm -hmm. you know maybe not wanting to take a chance on that. So what is it like? 
Yeah. Okay. So what I have found is, and I'll talk about my experiences going to writing workshops, highlights Tin House and community of writers first. What I find and what will be the case likely for black writers is that you'll be in a workshop group, usually of, of 10, so you'll be one, uh, one of 10 writers and you'll be the one black writer in that group of 10. Like that just happens. And I guess it depends on, you know, how many groups they've got, but I don't see more than one, maybe at most two out of 10, but I've never been part of a group where there's been another black writer in the group with me. So uh, I'm the one who has this black story, right? It's not problematic. To be fair, my, my fellow workshoppers are always really, really gracious with their comments and always really, really helpful. I think that beyond the feedback that they give me on my work is this kind of isolation that I feel when I'm at the conferences and, and not actually in the workshop space. So at these kind of workshops, there's always gonna be sort of, even in a virtual environment, they try to approximate this as much as possible, but there's, you know, meet and greets and happy hours and, you know, time, downtime where you're, you're talking in groups and that sort of thing. And just that sense of aloneness, not to the extent that I didn't have a wonderful time, but to the extent that it's just, I'm extremely aware that I'm, I'm the black writer in this particular room this breakout room right now, or mm -hmm. I'm the black writer in this, in this, in this gallery space or what have you. And that's one of the things that black writers, whether I guess adult fiction or not, but particularly YA, you just, that's just what it is. So you want to get in here. The workshopping is an important thing to do. And at the same time, just understand that your story might be the black story at, you know, any given uh, for any given workshop space. So now, um, my experience at Hearst and Wright is different, was different, of course, because all the writers were Black. And so for any Black writer looking to get into YA uh, or looking to be, I guess, a writer in, in general, uh, the workshopping should just be happening. But for this other kind of inclusive sort of experience, workshops like Hearst and Wright in, uh, in DC, so Howard University usually hosts uh, writers for their Writers Week. I think that's a tremendous place. Cambilio, Cambilio, I believe is modeled after Cave Canem, which mm -hmm. is a longstanding kind of workshop and retreat for black poets. And in fact, Cambilio had so many wonderful writers that have come through that program that that seems to be a place to be for, for Black writers, YA writers included. They're churning out some really masterful writers and just looks like a really great space. Another workshop that's really cool for writers of color, not just Black writers, but writers of color is uh, Vona, uh, Voices of Our Nation. And that one I think is situated in California, Cambilio, I think it's out of New Mexico. So I suppose what I would say for Black writers is get yourself in a workshop, 
right? Mm -hmm. uh, get yourself in those affirming spaces, but don't limit yourself. I think it's important to have your voices there too. Uh, one, th one more thing, um, Renee Watson, again, uh, we were in conversation uh, when I was there at Highlights and um, she said that she spoke with the, the director there and was like, listen, you know, let's figure out ways to get more black writers here. Because as a black writer, I can tell you, there's no black writer who wants to be the only black writer in a workshop. And she was like, I'm here as sort of like a, she was a, a panelist, or I think she was like giving a workshop or giving a talk. She said, when I come to highlights, I don't want to be the only black person here. <laughs> so right. She's like, so we got to figure out something. And in fact, uh, she started a scholarship and I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So those are resources for writers who are looking to get into YA. Well, actually anything, but, um, but for YA, since we're talking about that, but I know <laughs> that you have a very important reader of your novel. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, she. Let me tell you something. Uh, what I love about this reader is that she reads for free. She offers <laughs> her time so generously to me, and I don't have to pay her. She's excellent, and she's my fourteen-year-old daughter who does not hold any. You know, she does not. You know, mince words with me. She'll say, "Mom, this this portion is dragging. This is boring." <laughs> Your main character is much too put together. I don't know about that metaphor, you know, that sort of thing. And <laughs> I love it so much. And I, I found that when I was going through like a second or third set of revisions for this novel, that I was like, just read this portion, this, this 50 pages right here. She's like trying to do her homework, poor girl. She's trying <laughs> to do her homework. And I was like, okay, once you finish studying for your history exam, just give mommy's book a look-see could you okay so these 50 pages like get in here and let mommy know what I'm doing wrong and she did all right so before we go we always like to ask the guests what you know what you're reading you know if there's anything there that is lighting you up or soothing your soul yes so I am currently reading a short story collection by Dana Johnson and it is called break any woman down uh, I have to be fair, I've read this collection um, before. I am rereading it because the stories ripple with such verisimilitude and all the stories are so different and the voices are so distinct. Um, it's almost like this, this, this woman is a magician, um, the way that she's able to occupy these different characters and make me believe each and every one. All right. What are you watching? <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know what? I watch, first of all, I might've told you that um, I've been going to bed early these days. I teach five classes at, at the community college where I am in Maryland. And those are long, long days. And so for the last week or so, it's been a race to the bed. But in those, in those days where I, I stay up, I like to watch with my partner and we've been watching The Good Doctor because it's on network um, TV. Yes, it's a, yes. It's on network television and you know it's somewhat formulaic, but there's a comfort to it. And I gotta tell you, you know, it just, it gets me right where I need right before I go to sleep. You know what I mean? Like, it's just yeah. 
easy viewing. I love a hospital drama. So that's honestly, that's what I'm watching. Okay. And what are you listening to? So I am listening to like a compilation of old 90s R&B stuff. And it's just uh, in my library in Apple Music. And I've been jamming out to that. So it's not even a particular person, but it's like, it's going to be groove theory. You know, they had like that one song that was so hot with the Mel LaRue. And I'm listening to um, uh, Lady by D'Angelo. And I'm listening to, I'm doing a little, well, to be fair, I'm doing a little 2000 stuff too. So I'm doing a little Alicia Keys and, you know, just kind of doing that. And that sometimes carries me to work. So I'm doing a bit of that. It's just like my, like, like old school jams. Yeah. They're, they're actually oldies now. They're oldies now. I can't <laughs> believe it. I mean, Groove Theory, when did that come? No, that was clearly the, was it the 90s? If it wasn't, it was like early, early 2000. When I think about that, I'm like, it's 2021. Yeah. That was like 20 years ago yeah <laughs> early to so I don't want to say it but I think I might be getting old and every time <laughs> I meet a new class in the you know like in the really the fall of the year every time my students are just getting younger and younger my hair is getting grayer and grayer <laughs> and I'm realizing that I'm not as cool as I thought that I was so it's very humbling all the time uh, I did, I taught a creative writing class at the University of Maryland, and I remember doing some kind of, I don't know, a prompt where people were able to offer their favorite songs, and so I offered up a couple of my songs, and like one was by Sade, and <laughs> but none of my students knew who Sade was, and I was like, I was like, this is just absolute blasphemy, who does not know Shade, come on it was just oh I just never imagined that there would ever be a time when yeah. that could be possible and yet it is it's totally possible yes, so there you go well we will give our shout out to the 90s old school. <laughs> 90s old school always in my heart always in my yeah. heart <laughs> Okay. Well, thank you for being on the podcast. It was really a pleasure to talk to you about writing and YA and literature. Yeah. So thank you thank so you. much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I had a really great time talking with you, Bernetta. Oh, great. All right. So that was Dr. Gail Upchurch. She is an author of young adult and adult fiction and a professor at Prince George's Community College. She's a winner of the Tupelo Quarterly Prose Open Prize for her short story, America the Beautiful. Uh, I, I really recommend anybody read that. And she has an upcoming excerpt of her short story called Sweet Home Chicago in Obsidian Journal and Ideas in the African Diaspora, uh, as well as her upcoming YA novel. We'll, we'll definitely be making sure to look out for that. And I invite you back when we continue the conversation about anti-racism and education 
on Rise for Racial Justice, the podcast.